there is a line, but there's also um, something called humanity, particularly well, we're all working or many of us are working virtually. We all have lives. We recognize we have lives outside of work to bridge that trust in humanity, to understand the other person, to know what their life is like or going through is incredibly important. That builds a sense of trust for both of you. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Cheryl Rodness, AVP of Strategic Growth Initiatives at Calix. We will discuss building your marketing bench, the next marketing generation. This is unlike anything you've ever heard before. And guess what? You will need this if you are a young marketer. So I assume you're ready. Let's get it. Sherry, welcome. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Thanks so much. I am good. I am good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. In getting started right away, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your role? Sure. So I have been a global marketer for about 20 plus years. When I talk about being a global marketer, it's truly global. I've lived and worked in multiple countries, including Japan and the Netherlands, Canada, and of course, the U.S. Or Canada. Yeah. Originally from Toronto. Good. And I have sort of run the gamut in my career from brand to demand to social to digital. So pretty wide and deep across the marketing platform over my career. And currently my role is a little bit different. I was in tap the last four years or so to take on roles adjacent to the marketing team to actually build a broader business pedigree and background. So things in commercial operation, sales enablement and alignment with sales talent and culture, building DEIB teams and capabilities. What's the B in there? Belonging. Ah, okay. I only knew DEI. Sorry, go ahead. So I've taken a much broader business perspective and and look at business over the last few years, all in the attempts of becoming a much better marketer. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that that makes sense. And by the way, I'm here from the Calgary studio in Canada. But with that said, I've looked at the way professionals in general manage their careers in today's world, especially with the millennials. And people are always jumping ship. I could say that for sure in the immigrant community through which I belong. I have continued my marketing journey, but we've had others branch out into other types of IT roles. And sometimes there's a bit of a lack of purpose in there. There's a bit of a survival instinct in there. And A lot is going on these days, which is why it's very important for marketers, and I can only speak for marketing, to stay focused on their parts. And even for the older marketers who are about to hand over the baton, to be able to fully hand over that succession and create that bench, as we are talking about today. So my question is, why should CMOs of today care about that? I mean, if they are not caring much about the recent 
people retiring from jobs out of seven for a long time at the marketing home, people close to retiring and so on. Are there other reasons why I think why you think they should care in building a bench just in case of a quicker succession that they might be expecting? Well, a marketer, a CMO really has a few key roles. It's really to help the company meet its business objectives through a marketing strategy, but it's also to build the best team they can to get the company to where it needs to go. And quite honestly, the size of your team obviously depends upon your business objectives and where you're going and the size of your company. But a CMO always needs to be thinking about building that bench. You can't just have very senior marketers in your organization because you need people to learn and to grow and to build. If we're not building the next generation of marketers, what's going to happen to the companies we have? So as a CMO, you're always looking at how do you build your organization so that you've got young interns, you've got early career people, you've got mid-level people, and you've got senior people who ultimately can become your successor. If you're not building from the ground up, you're missing huge opportunities to get work done. If you're only building at the middle and the top tier, then that day-to-day work that just has to get done, that is typically done by somebody who is younger and learning, gets done by your more trained staff. And that's not a good use of their skills. If you only have very junior staff, then you don't have anyone to help you think strategically and, and move the ideas forward and build the alliances you need in the organization. So a CMO needs to be thinking across their bench, not just in who's going to succeed them, but who's coming in to start and learn and to to bring new ideas and fresh perspectives and and get the day-to-day work done. Mm, mm, mm. That that makes sense. I I would also add that I guess one of the biggest examples of creating a professional bench in business is the Ryan Buffett ecosystem. And a lot of people already say he's got his bench. And if he resigns today, Uh, there are people already running the company. So that is also very important to apply to marketing. But with this podcast, we like to really shoot straight and hit the nail of the head. So how do you build this marketing bench? We want to know how. So from my perspective, you start with interns. I have always believed very strongly in having paid interns come work for you over the summer. It's great for them. It gives them really real world experience. And it's great for you because it gets a lot of basic work done that your team may not have the opportunity to do. It gives you fresh ideas and it gives you the opportunity to take a look at people that you can bring into the company when you've got full-time help or full-time racks open. So at Calix, I built an intern program that started at seven interns and is now up to about 65. And we run it across the organization. So You start really early. You start in the late fall, in the very early winter, and you start looking at talking to your teams about what work would they like to see get done over the summer? What do they not have time to do? Or where is there just too much work that they can't get it done themselves? Then you start working with schools. You go out to either schools in your area if you are an on-site company, or you can go quite broad and work with schools all over the place if you are a virtual company and you build your JDs, your job descriptions, understanding what you're looking for. And then you go through the hiring process the same way you would with anybody else. I can talk about what you do with those interns to make sure that their work is valuable for both them and for you. 
which I think is really important and something that's often missed by a lot of companies. So what we have done, uh, what I had built, it is a program that not just had the intern working with their manager, but gave them exposure to the business at large. The interns would meet once a week as a group. Once a week, they would meet a senior executive in the organization who would talk about their department, what their department did, and talked a little bit about their career journey and then opened it up for questions. And this is really important because it gave the interns the opportunity to understand more about the business, understand different departments, understand how the company operates, and get a sense of other jobs that are actually out there for them as well to consider during their career. They would also have other meetings scheduled during the week that would give them exposure to less senior managers that they might feel a little comfortable talking to and learning a little bit more about what happens in a day-to-day level. And then we also had discussions around what does it mean to work in a business? Think about how many of these students over the last couple of years have lived a virtual life. They've gone to school in their bedrooms or in their dorms. They've had maybe internships that are online. They don't necessarily know how to properly behave in a business environment. So we gently teach them how to do that. You make sure you've got a fake background on, or if you don't have one, you make sure your bed is made if you only have your bedroom to work in. You make sure you're not eating all the time. You make sure your camera's on so you can see people. And we teach them how to make those connections by picking up the phone and asking for a coffee chat to create the connections that they wouldn't necessarily have face-to-face in a virtual environment. I'd say the other thing that we do that isn't critically important is at the end of the summer internship, we have them present back to the broader team and to their executive sponsor. And I work with them on their presentations to make sure that it's not just about what did I do, but understanding what are the business goals and objectives and how is what they did tying back to meeting those goals and then what they did, how it tied to outcomes. So they have a proper understanding of how they fit into the company at large and why their work mattered. I found that those interns who take the time to do that really see the difference of the meaning of their work. And that really gave them a better understanding of what happens in an organization and gives them a better connection to their team and to their boss of that they understand business, they understand goals and objectives and outcomes and helps you understand, is that person worth bringing back in for a full-time basis and hiring them after they graduate? That's a very wonderful plan. I personally, back home in Nigeria, I guess went through something similar. At least my career kicked off from a company where I previously interned. In Nigeria, you have a one-year compulsory internship. After just as you're going into, just as you're about to leave college and even after you leave college. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. There are some questions I would like to ask in terms of shaping the mindset of next generation, myself inclusive. And one of it is helping them and training them to be pragmatic in their strategic approach to marketing, right? We know this because it's important because we youths, are very, I guess, free and loose sometimes. So there's a bit of carefreeness involved in our lifestyle. I'm not saying there's not enough responsibility, but things are, I, for lack of a better word, more flexible than they used to be with the other generation. So how do you train these professionals to be more 
pragmatic in their strategic approach to work. I mean, you might have mentioned a few things about the way they present and things like that, but even in the process of doing marketing, how do you encourage them to be more pragmatic in their strategic approach? Well, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. I think it's important to be pragmatic in how you approach your career, regardless of what that is. And yes, the this current newer generation of employees has a very different perspective in many ways compared to perhaps my generation of employees, where we tended to be a little bit more loyal. And I think we tended to have a more pragmatic approach to what it meant to get promoted. This generation tends to have less patience, I think is probably the best way to put it. But I think what they tend to lack and what I'd encourage everyone to think about is it's not doing the work. When you think about your career, when you think about being a marketer, it's not what did I get done today, but have you thought about the business at large, the business goals? Have you taken the time to understand the business and how what you do impacts achieving those goals? And is what you've done helped move towards the outcomes? I'd say that's probably the, the one piece of advice that I would give that I see lacking the most. There's such a desire and need to get something done and get something done quickly. So what I've tended to notice is that there is this sense of lack of patience. I don't necessarily want to call it urgency, but it, it's more a lack of patience of, I've been in this job for 12 months, 18 months, two years. Where's my promotion? Why am I not a director? Why am I not a vice president? I've done the work. And if you take a step back and think about, it's not about what you have just done, but how you approached it, the relationships you've built, the cross-functional uh, collaboration that you've done, how you've achieved the business outcomes. I think this generation will start to find that what they're doing doesn't always necessarily correlate to that, and that's why they're not getting promoted. What I've tended to see is this frustration of lack of promotion leading to job hopping. You can only do that for so long, I think, in your career, and then you really need to settle down. You need to be somewhere for three, four, five years so that you actually really understand the business that you're in and how you're contributing to it. There's sort of the old adage, the first year you're really kind of floundering around a little bit, trying to find your sea legs in a role. The second year you get comfortable in it. And then the third year you start to really make strides. Well, if you're not getting to that point where you're really making strides and really contributing to the business outcomes, you shouldn't be expecting to be promoted. Just because you showed up every day and ticked the box to get stuff done doesn't necessarily mean that you've done it in a way that you brought the best value to an organization. Yeah, I really, really like that. That was a very hard lesson for me at some point in my career, where I believe it was between 2015 and 2019. I was really big on jumping ship and things like that. But when I didn't get successful doing that, <laughs> for obvious reasons, I sort of used some of these things that you've mentioned to really get ahead and be a very strong instrument to build a business from just relying on word of mouth to now relying on marketing to drive millions of dollars at a time. And this was a comp comp company, in a business in Nigeria, a company in Nigeria, it was an investment bank. And for anyone listening now, I think this may not sound very 
sophisticated, but I'm sure that Cherry will agree with me. For what it's worth, stay as long as you can, as long as the business would appreciate you. Because from a hiring perspective, there are costs to you living, not just the cost from the HR perspective, but even the cost from a business perspective. Because understanding the business and charting the cost for that business through your own contribution is something that companies might need. We will need. And the reason why you think you are not getting hired for a position right now is probably because you are living where you are working too early. That's also very, so I think for what is just important too, I think four years is like the benchmark. Some consultancy company looked at that, but time is not even the problem, right? We've had the CMO of, I, I do, I'm, we are on record now, so I don't want to mistake it. One of the CPG companies just resigned and has spent 30 years working for that company, one of the top CPG companies out there. And so sometimes it might be longer, it might be shorter. I don't think that's, at the end of the day, it depends on what you're chatting when it comes to your own career. So I, I like that. What are the kind of relationship you've built? Was your, how have you influenced processes? I think it's what Cherry is trying to say in terms of the manner in which you have delivered work and how has all that contributed to sustainable uh, business outcomes. If you're able to answer those questions, then you are on your way to... And the thing about promotion is that, to me, success comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. I have been in a situation in my life where people just want to reward you for being great. You don't have too much waste in your career. You're always very efficient. You're always adding value as much as possible. And you don't act as if you hate your job, which is also another important advice. So with all that, I guess, career rant out of the way. Uh, Cheryl, let me ask you a couple of other questions as well. well um, before you yeah, do, go ahead. Yeah. let me just add a couple of things. So you made the comment of stay as long as the company values you. But I would also say on the flip side of that, stay as long as you are learning. So when you stop learning or you're not given the opportunity to learn more, then it's probably time to move on. So that's one thing. The second thing is people will stay at companies for 30 years or longer. You know, I stayed at IBM for 14 because I kept changing jobs. I kept being given new opportunities to learn, new opportunities to grow. You don't have to leave to get those opportunities. But that leads me to point number three, which is it's really important for you to understand that you are in charge of your career and not your boss. And I don't know how many times I've said that or I've had my manager say that to me. If you want something to happen in your career, you have to ask for it. You have to take the steps to be able to move towards that, whether it's growth and things you need to do to get to that next stage. But unless you ask, nobody is necessarily going to come to you with it. There are some companies that have great pragmatic programs for people that they, they put you I was going to say, right? yeah. And you get those opportunities, but most companies don't. And so if you want a new role, if you're looking for a new challenge, if you're looking for a promotion, you need to take control of your career and you need to ask for it. Do not put your hand in the career, your career in the hands of anybody else. Yeah, I agree with that. And I had a bit of a chapter in my life where that happened. For the sake of those involved, I, I, I will not go into details, but you're really right about that. But I, I think as it's also important to keep exploring the responsibilities that younger marketers should be aware of, even those with some experience. 
And if I would take from the line of the Spider-Man uh, movie franchise, with great power comes responsibility. And one of the responsibilities that is happening from a marketing role perspective is that marketing is beginning to become very commercial in nature, very customer-centric. And so it's not just about the very fluffy, beautiful, shiny objects called marketing that we do before now, but there is a lot of sales alignment. There is a lot of service alignment. There is a lot of collaboration with finance. And even in the tech side as well, if you are really doing marketing, you will be involved with a lot of the digital transformation or technological transformation department. So it's a much broader role these days, which is why, you know, if you're listening, you might see some CMOs being referred to as chief customer officer, chief audience officer, or chief commercial officer. That's because it's a much expanded role. I'm not saying it adds to more hours per day, but from a strategic impact perspective, you don't have to think marketing from just that one lane of marketing. You have to think about it through these many other facets that affect the share of life of the client. So my question to you is, from your experience, how, number one, this, whether they are interns or younger marketers, are they aware of, the, of what this future looks like? And number two, if they are, how are they taking it in general? That's a really good question. So I would start by saying really good marketing has always been customer-centric. It has been based upon customer or audience insights and needs. Really good marketing. Having said that, yes, over the years, marketing has become much more focused in better understanding the customer need, the customer demand, and following that. Younger marketers today, I think, tend to be taught the value of data, and so they become very data-centric. They start to understand the tech stack and the importance of metrics. What I don't think they necessarily understand is it's not all metrics that matter. What metrics should you really be looking at? What metrics are really giving you indicators that the business is moving forward? That's one piece of it on data. But I think they're doing a good job, particularly in schools, in, in training and teaching students support the importance of data in the marketing field. What I don't think they're teaching, however, is the alignment between, between sales and marketing. And I think that's something that every marketer really needs to better understand and be better aligned to. Sales has the pulse of the customer. They understand how customers are interacting with your products. Good salespeople are helping you understand what the customers need. They're helping tease out the specifics of what's working and what's not working for a customer from your product standpoint. As a marketer, you need to spend time listening, not just to what sales are saying, but also to, what the, to spending time with their customers, to working with sales, to bring in their customers for advisory boards to be with sales in sales meetings to understand the conversations that are happening, but to be aligned very closely with sales and taking that information in. The other very key thing that seems to be getting some attention, but I wouldn't say necessarily by young marketers or certainly by the schools, is the alignment of helping marketers translate the messages and the materials they're taking into the market into how sales sells it. So when you have an environment that tends to be B2B, 
So you've got a sales team selling into a retailer or selling into some other sort of business. You need to understand how your sales team are taking the messages, the materials you're creating, and then delivering that story. So I don't think that there is enough um, time spent on storytelling or teaching storytelling from the marketer to the salesperson to enabling them with the right materials to help them tell that story, to do coaching sessions with them on how to tell the story, what are the right points to hit, what are the objections to understand. So I think that there is a key miss there. Now, there are lots of tools that have been introduced over the last probably five, 10 years to bridge that sales enablement area, but I don't think enough time is being spent truly between the marketer and the salesperson to understand what's working, what's not working, and why, and to listen to how those materials are being used. And I think that's a gap in schools. I would love to see a course added around the area of sales and marketing alignment to be able to talk about that. It's even in this podcast, if you've been listening to a couple of episodes, I'm always really big on. I think when I initially started the podcast, it was more about sales enablement. And we've had folks like Pam Dignia, the great ABM influencer or thought leader speaking about this as well. But now my mindset is really just having a commercial mindset um, with the customer at the center. So, uh, you know, it's really important what you've shared there. And I do hope that we have sales enablement within curriculum going forward, because that is one of the most important ways to truly provide the kind of impact that employers, if we put it that way, are looking for. This is a bit of a fluffy question, Cheryl, and how important is the role of diversity? When we were speaking at the beginning, as you've got some experience in the DEI space, and you added an extra letter there. Was it a B for belonging exactly? How does that play a role in building future marketing leaders, especially from a global marketing strategy perspective, of which you also have experience in? So when you talk about diversity, it's diversity across everything. It's age, background, where you grew up. If you don't have a diverse organization, employee organization, then you are very much limiting yourself to a group of people who all think one way. And I know that's probably cliched and said time and time again, but it's very true. You need to have people in your functions, in your organization that represent the makeup of the markets that you're selling into. Otherwise, you don't understand the nuances. You, there's perspectives that you perceive you understand, but you actually don't unless you are of that age bracket, that ethnic background, that the country that you grew up in, whatever it is, ability, disability. You have to live in those shoes to be able to understand what those individuals think and feel and react and what makes them tick and why they would make a purchase. There's tons of innuendo you just don't understand when you try to perceive you do. One of the reasons I call myself a true global marketer, as I said, is because I've lived in those markets. I will never you know, pretend to be Japanese, but having lived in the Japanese market for six months and worked with our Japan team, I understand the some of the nuances. And that helped me understand as I was teaching them how to 
do integrated campaign planning and digital media, what does that mean in their market? How do their buyers and sellers behave differently than I understand North American buyers to be? And there are tons of nuances. It's that way for anything and everything. So to me, it's critically important to have a diverse group. Yeah, that, that's good. And I like the context through which you shared that. If you're listening, you probably enjoy this very much. I know the subject of career is often very nice. So share this with your friends if you haven't already. Uh, but before we go on and ask Cheryl uh, some other questions, I'd like us to take a quick break. There will be a very quick commercial break from our sponsor. And then when we are back, we're going to have a little bit of fun uh, with the performance rapid fire. So if you are with us, please don't go away. We'll be back in a few seconds. This episode is brought to you by Listen Network, where podcasts meet their potential. If you're a brand needing podcast episode promotion or podcast follower promotion, Listen Network is here to give you the best in-class analytics, podcast growth attribution, and podcast promotion success. Find out more at www.listennetwork.co. It's the Marketing Leadership Podcast with Dots Loves Marketing, and we are speaking to Cheryl Todness. It's time for the marketing rapid fire, or we call it the performance rapid fire. I probably have to look at which of the versions sticks to my head. But it's three questions, and it's more like we are putting you on a mock trial. You will never be on trial for any real reason. You want the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. So, first question. What is your best marketing KPI? And we don't want to hear sales. Time to close. Uh, I love that. Time to close. And that's different whether it's B2B or B2C. And you can use that to perform any kind of activity that is needed for nurturing. Good one. Second question. How long do you use social media every day? <laughs> Probably too much. <laughs> yeah, um, you are very responsive, which is a very good thing. I'm on LinkedIn at least once a day. Makes sense, makes sense. Then the last one should be very easy. What is your favorite marketing quote? I don't know if I have a favorite marketing quote, but my favorite quote is, people will not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel by Maya Angelou. Yeah, that's one of the most endure. It's actually a branding, customer service, business marketing code. So it's a good fit for commercial marketing, if I'll put it that or, or commercial operations. If we put that it, that it is, so, if you yeah. are a good brand marketer, people will remember how your product made them feel, not necessarily what the tagline was. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Okay, back to the episode now. Just a few questions before I let you go. And it's really about taking this forward. And we have a lot of our listeners who, after listening to this, will start to take action for their lives, for their career, and doing some sort of realignment. So I don't know if you've got like, and I know you've shared a lot of ideas already, but I don't know if you've got some sort of a high-level playbook for training the marketing bench and preparing them for what's to come. Especially if there is a marketing leader listening right now and needs to start to implement a few things just to prepare the next generation of marketers, what would be, what would be your advice for them? In preparing the next generation of marketers for their team, I think one thing they clearly need to do is create career ladders within their organization, understand 
what the progression is for people to come into the organization and to grow. And from that latter perspective, what's a proper lateral move and what's the next vertical move? But as part of those ladders, what are the skills that people will need to go from stage to stage or from move to move? That's really critical. I think that's important for both the senior marketer to have, as well as for the people entering the organization to know what the clear path is. I'd say the next thing that they really need to do is to make sure that they have a proper bench, that they have filled their team with junior, mid-level, and senior people. And those senior and mid-level people have been assigned as mentors or buddies to others in the organization. Sometimes mentorship can be difficult when you're in the same organization, but think of it more as a buddy, somebody that you can go to to ask questions, to get some help from, to get some guidance from within the department, within the function to help you learn and know in a safe environment. Those are probably the two things I would say for the senior marketers. They look to build their bench. For the junior person, I'd say the most important thing you can do is have a clear understanding of where you want your experiences and your career to go over the next 12, 24, 36 months. You may not know as far as 36. A lot will look at their career and go, oh, I want to be a CMO. Well, be realistic, pull it back a little bit. Where People do you like want? me. And then understand what's it going to take to get there. Not assume that if you just do a good job and get the job done, it will happen. And then go find mentors, people to talk to who will give you straight up guidance and help in understanding your organization or your function and what you need to do. And to be able to talk through situations and scenarios in a very open and honest way. And I'd say, listen, as a junior person, don't assume you know the answers. Don't listen for what you want to hear. Listen. You'll get guidance and you'll get direction. It may not all be what you want to hear, but it's all that you need to hear. Yeah, and that, that happens all the time. I, I like the mentorship part. I think if you cannot work with a direct report that is able to you know, act as your body, using the word body, then uh, you might need to find some sheep somewhere else. I have been very lucky. In fact, from the very first time I started out, Everyone I've worked with, I've been very close to. Even for the past 13 years, I still speak to my ex-bosses till today. And there might be other issues that may not be as perfect. We are humans, but that mentorship has really helped. We discuss things of work during work, things outside of work, not with work. If you're listening, think about it like the Suits uh, series. If you watch TV and you know the Suits series, we have the Harvey Specter who is here, and then we have the Mike Ross, who is here, and they've got this very great working and personal relationship. It's very important, along with some of the other things that Cherry just mentioned as well. Do you have any other comments in terms of building trust? I know these days micromanaging is no longer an issue as it used to be before, but how much trust do you think current CMOs, outgoing CMOs need to have in, in their lieutenants? Well, I'm one who believes in authenticity and transparency. You have to understand that as a lieutenant, your job, quite honestly, is to make sure your CMO 
doesn't fail or looks good or you're not letting them down. So I firmly believe that you do your job, you do it well, but you always keep your CMO apprised um, so that they're never surprised by something. You don't want them to find out about a situation, good or otherwise, that you hadn't given them foresight into. And if you are honest and transparent, it builds that trust with them. Giving bad news is not an easy thing to do, but it's important. And if you do that early so that you can rectify situations when they're happening, you build that trust. If you try to hide it and it backfires on you, that trust will be lost. But I also believe that we spend so much time working that trust is built by creating a personal relationship and bond. You know, you don't want to get into the business of the people who report to you. There is a line, but there's also um, something called humanity, particularly, well, we're all working or many of us are working virtually. We all have lives. We recognize we have lives outside of work to bridge that trust in humanity, to understand the other person, to know what their life is like or going through is incredibly important. That builds a sense of trust um, for both of you. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you mean in terms of humanity. And it's not, I'm not going to tell you how my night was all the time. <laughs> for example, my I had a boss that hated that question. Like, why would you ask me how was my night? I'm a married woman. But as just being human, somebody undergoing a personal challenge, I've worked with people who lost their parents in the middle of work, or their dad, their mom, people even celebrating weddings or birthdays and things like that. Just showing humanity in those kinds of scenarios helps a lot. But even showing humanity to reward authenticity, just like you said, transparency. I am always about transparency. I think I've made a pact to myself that even if it's going to cost me something, I would always disclose whatever is going on with campaigns. And if you're in the performance marketing world where you are supposed to perform miracles, then there's a, always a lot of bad news. It's it's like it's normal. But I'm always of, and I guess if you're listening, you've seen this, miss, heard me say this a lot of times, that communicating with leadership as frequent as possible gives them or gives them this mindset of progress rather than targets. Many marketers don't want to communicate because the numbers they want to report is not looking good because we always want to report the shiny things. And sometimes marketers report fluffy metrics like impressions or click-through rates in some cases. And many of the other fluffy KPIs are hate. But if you want to report something that is revenue-based or customer acquisition-based, but it's not looking good at the moment, just say it and say, this is what I'm trying to do with all my power to do this. Or if you are working on a channel that you believe in so much and it's not working as it should, be transparent with yourself in pulling the plug and you know, charting a different direction. All I'm saying is that communication with your boss, communication with leadership is really, really important. And the more frequent you do that, the less they think about firing you because you are not meeting the target. Am I making sense, Cheryl, or what do you think? You are. Communication is important, but you have to have the right level of communication as well. You need to make sure that your communication is crisp, it's succinct, you are indicating what the problem is and what you're trying to do to solve it. I don't believe in communication just to say, I've got a problem. The more senior you become, your role is to make sure that you're not bringing problems to your boss, but you're bringing solutions. So you have to think about your communication from that standpoint. You want to be careful. You're not chicken little. The sky's not falling. Here's the issue. Here's how I've been tracking it. 
here's what I suggest we do to rectify it, or here's here are my two suggestions as potential solutions. Always come with a solution, never just come with a problem. Yeah, I agree. And my boss has always said that as well. Before I let you go, one more last question. We, the new generation of marketers, I think you alluded to that at the beginning, we love tools a lot. We want to use the next nice thing. We've got ChatGPT, we've got AI, we've got all this stuff going on. And I think sometimes if I would be honest on behalf of this generation and even the Gen Z generation, so there's sometimes too much reliance on tools. Sometimes it's, yes, there is importance in the technicality. We are more technical than our predecessors, but I'm just wondering if it's even too much at this point. And I, I don't know if that's something you've ever thought about, if that's part of your training to people to maybe complement with different skills and have the right mix. What do you think about this generation being too technical from this marketing perspective? I wouldn't say it's about being too technical. What I would say is that at the speed that technology is being developed, there's constantly a new tactic or capability or app that's being created. And what you need to do is to take a step back and say, again, what are my objectives? What are my goals? What's the best channel to get there? And the newest and brightest and shiniest object may not be the best thing. You know, if, if you're in a B2B, a mature B2B business, TikTok is not the way to go. So you really have to think about not just what's new and cool, but what's going to actually reach the audience that you are trying to attract? And is that going to give you the outcomes you need? Now, having said that, that's from in your day-to-day -day work life. As an individual, as a marketer, I think it's really important to keep up to date with all of, as many of the new tools as you can. And so you want to investigate, you want to learn, you want to try them out, you want to get to know them and understand them so that you can make an informed decision. Are they the right thing to bring in and to test and or to use in your business? Yeah, that, that makes sense. If you're listening, this is not a masterclass, but it does feels like one because that is what we do with the Marketing Leadership Podcast. It's premium wisdom at no cost. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl, for sharing that. And like I said, I have learned a lot myself and I'm sure those listening will be too. So where can the future leaders, or like they say from where I come from, marketing leaders of tomorrow, seek your advice? They can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. Send me a note on LinkedIn. Yeah. And just a tip, if you send a note, you will get a quick response. So do so now. <laughs> but make sure you let me know why you're reaching out and not just say you want to add me to your network. There's got to be value for you and for me. Oh, yes. That, that's another very good one as well. That's all for today, guys. Please see more episodes on dotslovesmarketing.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, Please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.